Welcome back to Empowered Rx. We are the mentorship program and community that helps women who have had their lives disrupted by trauma to reclaim their health and step into their power. At Empowered Rx, we believe in the transformative and healing power of fitness, nutrition, and mindset. We're here to give you actionable tips and resources that will help you get back on track and reach your goals. We are here to help you turn your struggles into strengths so that you can be so strong, so healthy, and so empowered. Welcome back to Empowered Rx. We are the mentorship program that helps young girls and women to reclaim their health, step into their power, and find food and fitness freedom for life. Today, I'm here with a member story, which is one of my favorite things to do. I'm here with Ann Nyland, who has been with us for nine months. She is a nursing student, has an undergraduate degree in public health, and is an eating disorder recovery warrior. I cannot do her story justice, so she is going to tell it today to you guys, and it's an 11-year journey. So this is a really important story with a lot of lessons to be learned, and we want to just celebrate where Anne is today because she's come so far and it's taken tremendous work. So first, Anne, congratulations for how far you've come. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Um, so I, my story started back, well, my diagnosis was when I was 17. I was um, competing um, with my figure skating uh, across New England. I was with a synchronized skating team. I was also doing cross country. So all of this like really hard, um, like intense physical work. And then behind the scenes, I was having these like eating disorder thoughts. They started to creep up. So when it all, I would say crashing down at like 17 because I doubled over in like this very intense pain, mm. which throughout many doctor's appointments, um, it was like, oh, we have irritable bowel syndrome. Um, you're a healthy girl, just food sensitivities, just some constipation, that type of thing. Um, but it was like then learned after months of having chronic pain in my lower side that I had mesenteric lymphadenitis, which was uh, inflammation of lymph nodes. And this happens in patients who have anorexia. Mm. But after visiting, I was involved with my, at the time, pediatrician, um, a holistic nutritionist, um, my gastroenterologist, and they're all like, oh, nothing was ever wondered that I would have like an eating disorder, um, even though I had food sensitivities and food fears and all of that. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, it has been a journey with a, learning what that pain was, but it wasn't until I went from a gastroenterologist to a nutritionist that they said, or I, I went to her saying that, um, you know, I have some food sensitivities and everything. And that's when she started asking me questions about uh, disordered eating. And I was like saying yes to um, restriction and uh, purging and laxatives and all that stuff that you you try to use to lose weight and everything so um 
I was thinking in that moment when I was talking with my nutritionist, Jennifer, I was like, oh my goodness, like I'm saying yes to all of this. What does this mean? I was finally admitting this relationship to disordered eating. Um, and so that's kind of started off with my journey of being like, okay, I have an issue with food. I need some help. Um, so from there, got on the nutritionist grind and went to see Dr. Powell as well. And she really helped kickstart my recovery. <laughs> She's amazing. She's like one of my heroes. <laughs> I love her. She's so positive. Every time I walk into the room or she comes into the room, she'll give me a big hug and you just feel like so important, so heard. Um, so she's definitely been an incredible part of my recovery. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm going to just have a couple questions and we'll go back to the beginning where this all started and we're going to just kind of go piece by piece along the way. Um, for those of our listeners who perhaps are in early recovery or maybe sensitive to uh, details about recovery and behaviors and things, we would ask that you pause this episode and maybe look at one of our episodes. It's more about diet culture or nutrition at this time because we are going to go deep. The reality is, is that we don't talk about a lot of this stuff enough. And it's really important that we learn how dangerous eating disorders are and what the consequences are. When I was younger and had my disordered eating, much like Anne, the doctors would find all these other things that would be quote unquote wrong with me. I was never asked about disordered eating. And I think if I had known more about disordered eating and had the education and understood the symptomology and everything like that, I might've been able to advocate for myself. So this is a really great opportunity to learn, but only when we're in the headspace that we're ready to do that and we're receptive to that. So just a trigger warning. But Anne, let's go back to when this all began. When were your first signs of body image and disordered eating struggles? Well, I remember being like 11 years old and just standing in front of the mirror and being like, oh, what I'm wearing makes me, I look fat or whatever, whatever it was. But I was such a, like an active girl, um, you know, I ate healthy, you know, um, but it just kept having these like reoccurring thoughts about my body and how other people perceive me like at 11. Mm -hmm. And that is so young uh, to intellectually be able to know about diet culture and to apply it to ourselves. It's really sad. Most of our young girls actually start dabbling in diet culture around age 12. So Anna's a little bit early, but not far off from the average target there. And it really is a combination of, you know, the predisposal through our genetics, um, our environment, um, our lifestyle, our habits, sports, all of it. It's very complex. But what do you think, if you look back, is there anything that caused those thoughts to happen that you know of? Um, I think, um, like, I don't want to call out my family or anything, but I think, like, looking back, um, I think my family was consumed by diet culture and, you know, it'd be like, oh, if you eat too much, if you have ice cream, that could lead to weight gain or, um, I, th I think it was just diet culture was influencing my family. And then that, that was influencing my own thoughts. So I think my environment did have a, uh, you know, it did have a major part of that, you know, with my own 
mom having her own security. So I was seeing that and I kind of like, oh, she's trying to change her body. She's, she's nervous about how she looks. So, um, you know, that fed into me. And then of course I, being a figure skater and then I was running, like those are two sports that eating disorders are very common because you have to like, you know, there's this perception of like what you should look like in the sport. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think it was just, uh, you know, regular diet culture that was just out that you would hear, you know, walking down the street or seeing an advertisement, like lose weight. I mean, it's just diet culture is just always yelling at you about losing weight. It's everywhere. It's insidious. It's in our messaging. It's you can't go a day without seeing diet culture messaging truly, which is really sad. It's everywhere. And it's just like, if imagine if we could just take away all those advertisements, what would that would do for us? We'd be like, wow, you know, I'm okay. <laughs> right? It, it blows my mind. I think about that all the time. Um, you, you talked about at age 17, finally getting the help that you needed. I want to go back to when behavior you started. What age was that? Um, let's like, I was always, very careful about like what I ate and that was like all of high school um but then it came to a point like with before high school before my diagnosis I was also like going through periods of just eating until like my stomach was full like uncomfortably full so I had like I, I, it was high school um you know I would have comments on me being oh you're so skinny and that influenced the you know like oh I'm skinny like it just like kind of influenced me to keep restricting mm -hmm. um but then it was um it was like oh I restrict but then I was starving so then I would you know I would essentially binge until I was uncomfortably full so I had all these like weird behaviors that would start picking up throughout like within high school before uh, my diagnosis, you know, certain types of forks, like I would use small forks to eat, certain silverware, um, big baggy clothes to hide my body. I would chew an insane amount of gum, like probably a pack within like eight hours while I was at school. Um, so it was just like all these like little things that were like building up and then it kind of like crescendoed when I just like all of a sudden my body was just hurting but now that I'm learning I think looking back with the pain I was also having was literally stomach pains because my stomach was so empty my stomach was just like I need food inside of me it was screaming at me like I need some energy <laughs> yes yes your body tries to communicate to you when it's being put in these compromised positions and I know you said like this is so important because we talk about like the big symptoms of eating disorders and everyone always talks about weight loss, but I want to just let our audience know that only 6% of people with eating disorders end up being dangerously underweight. And so that is actually not necessarily the most reliable sign of disordered eating. There's all these other little micro signs, I call them, that really stand out that are important and the small, tiny silverware. Um, taking a lot of bites, cutting our food up small, leaving one bite left on our plate, um, needing to exercise or move after we eat, um, all of these little things, taking laxatives, um, purging, 
um, not wanting to eat in public, sorts of things yeah. like that, um, wearing baggy clothes or bloating that occurs after meals. Like there's all these little things. Were there any other small things that you did behavior wise? Like let's talk more about the small behaviors maybe that maybe. Uh, so I would, um, yeah, I would measure everything mm -hmm. and then I would count everything down to like a morsel. Like if it was a chocolate chip, I mean, it wouldn't even be chocolate, but I was at a point where I wouldn't eat, you know, I was, I was vegan for also four years. So I, tended to go towards like a lifestyle that was like oh it's healthy but it was actually like my disordered eating was like intertwined with that I was like I wasn't eating um eggs dairy uh gluten anything that came out of a box I stayed away because I was like oh it's like in my mind I started as a as bad you know I was giving food morals and or poison and I was like just staying away from uh, meat, like meat, obviously as well. Um, anything should anything that I esteemed as having sugar in it, and I saw that as a bad thing. Even though I was running distance and I was, you know, eliminated a lot of out of my diet. And then again, it also translated into like my social life. Like I just didn't want to, like I did not want to eat in front of people. Um, anxiety, I had thoughts about the next meal all the time, even though I didn't want to eat it. It was just like food was constantly on my mind. It was kind of like, why am I thinking about this all the time? Well, it was like, because of my body, I'm restricting. And my body is trying to be like, hey, Hey girl, what's up? <laughs> um, yeah, thank you for sharing those. Yeah, so guys, it's it's so important that like if something feels off, it probably is. And if something, if you notice you're starting to do things that maybe other people around you aren't doing, there's probably something going on and it's a clue to look closer. Now, Anne said something important. She and I both went to the doctor tons of times. My lymph nodes were super swollen. I remember them palpating them and being like, oh, maybe you're fighting an infection. Um, they told me that I looked great. My uh, doctor even went so far as to tell me that she wished I she had my body. I was 16 years old, so a full-grown woman should not want a 16-year-old's body. Mm -hmm. But it was very confusing to navigate. And this is not to shame the medical system or anything, but unfortunately, eating disorders are just not talked about in an educational way enough. They are glamorized in diet culture and so we really need to start talking about these things on a clinical level on a social level a community level it's just so so important to start these conversations so if you're listening and you're a doctor or a therapist don't be afraid to ever ask a client questions it's they can choose to say no but at least you ask because you never know what's going on behind closed doors and oftentimes it's really hard to speak about those things um, what did it feel like to finally confront and accept the fact that you had disordered eating? Uh, it felt freeing in a way because okay. I wasn't alone anymore because I was fighting with all these thoughts in my head and I had all these behaviors and it was just, I was exhausted because I was like, I wasn't living like I was very just like floating through my life I was like just taking day by day meal by meal that type of thing but like once I opened up to Jennifer I like I just remember like I, I broke down in tears and I was I was just like uh, it felt good to get it off my chest really but then I was there was a part of me that was afraid of going through recovery because I was like 
I'm going to gain weight or, uh, you know, I was thinking like there was this eating disorder thoughts in my head that were like, no, don't get recovery like that. That's not the good way to go. Um, but I definitely like there, I had this internal battle. Like I needed help. I knew I was struggling and I was so sick and I was like, I have to say something. Yeah. Yeah. You get to a point where something has to give and it's not always rock bottom. Sometimes we're sitting Sometimes we've been treated for other things and sometimes things are okay, but we're just tired of the vicious cycle of the eating disorder. Sometimes it is rock bottom for other people. It isn't. It doesn't matter what level of sickness you are. You don't have to live that way mm -hmm. and you shouldn't have to live that way. You deserve to have a nourishing, thriving, joyful life. And as Anne was saying, she wasn't truly living. Um, and I always used to say, I felt like a shell of a person. I just wasn't in there like, vacancy signs everywhere in my eyes basically um now another thing you and i have in common is the over exercise and it's yeah. really easy to over exercise when we under fuel so this is all relative right if she had been feeling properly and taking adequate rest her relationship to exercise might still be looked at as compulsive but not so much like as dangerous in an eating disorder it would have still been a compulsive behavior but if there was adequate fuel we often get mistaken for being a health nut or just super fit and so there's all these people out there who compulsively exercise in an unhealthy way but it has become a socially accepted thing and that's really dangerous because we think oh man more 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 is better but when we're under fueled in addition to that and we're over exercising it is so dangerous to your heart, to your brain, to your, like just every single part of your body. It is so dangerous. We are taxing our kidneys. I, I could go on and on. Um, our bone mineral density. What were some of the deteriorative signs of your body that like were starting to happen? I know the swollen lymph nodes, but what else is going on? Well, I lost my period. That was one thing. And it was like, oh, you're under stress, you're a distance runner. Um, so I had that. And then I had the worst cystic acne. Mm. And it was showing up along my like cheekbones. Mm -hmm. And that's a sign of like digestive issues. Which I, like, I was like, oh, I have digestive issues, food sensitivities, that's why. But it was like my skin. Um, I had the fine hair all over my body. Um, the no period. I just, my body was exhausted. I was anemic. Um, yeah, my body was felt like it was falling apart. You're yeah. <laughs> at a really young age. I can relate to that. I remember thinking I had mono. I just remember being so tired. It was like a tired, tired in my bones feeling. No matter how much I slept, I could not feel recovered from it. Um, and one of the things you said, you mentioned the, the hair growth and, and nobody ever talks about this. So we're going to go back to this because I think it's really important. There is a syndrome called Lanugo and this is like fur like hair that starts to grow on our skin when we are so malnourished that we're cold all the time. It helps to regulate our, um, temperature. Talk to me about like where the hair was, what it looked like, how did that impact you? Like what, what did it make you feel? Well, I think. I, I'm, I'm a hairy person. <laughs> so I think, uh, like having the extra little fine hair, I was like, Oh, that's just me. Like, I think I was justifying having like extra hair in my body. But what I really noticed is like when I started recovery and I started like eating again, the hair went away. I was like, huh? 
I'm not as hairy as I thought I was. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. So, so for those who are listening, it is a completely normal side effect to malnourishment to grow fine hair. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people end up losing their periods. Unfortunately, a lot of us end up losing our hair on our head. We lose our mm -hmm. skin tone. We bruise more easily. We get massive dark circles under our eyes, due to probably secondary to anemia. There are all these things that are secondary to the major issues. And basically, we're not fueling our body enough for our organ systems to run properly, which is terrifying when you think about it. Our body is a finely tuned machine that can do so many amazing things for us if we feel it. Like if your car was on empty, you're not going anywhere. And it's the same mm. thing that we force our body to go. It's like a, a mind over matter sort of situation and we run it into the ground until the, our body says stop. And it will tell us to stop. And that's when Ann ended up in the doctor's office. And so tell us, did you go to the hospital? Did you go um, to residential or what was your treatment like? Uh, no, so I was outpatient, and the only reason that I didn't go to inpatient treatment was that I refused because, you know, I was 17, but then I was, I just turned 18 around, like, just starting recovery, so I was, like, in charge, you know, I could say no to uh, residential, and my reason being was that I was too busy. I had school to go after, I had my figure skating, I had my running to go after. I was like, if I stop for eating disorder treatment, like in in residential, like, oh, that's gonna slow down my whole, whole plans. So that's like the reason why I didn't go, but like, do I regret not going? Yes, because I obviously needed it. So I was just getting in a little bit of my own way. Mm -hmm. And then I also was having like those thoughts of, um, I'm not sick enough. And like a lot of people in recovery, they're like, oh, I'm not sick enough. So I wasn't like, I didn't need like a feeding tube. Like I didn't see myself as being like the, you know, stereotypical sick eating disorder gal. So I was just like, oh, I'm not that sick. I don't need to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's what I was thinking at that point. Yeah, we see that so often, and uh, it's really, really sad. I think the thick enough trap is probably what stops people from getting help at any level of sickness. Like, so many people are undiagnosed because they don't realize the severity of their sickness, but any level of sickness is valid. In fact, you should go to the doctor and talk about it if you're starting to have these thoughts and not acting on them yet. Like, these are things that we can try to prevent or intervene with, um, and the earlier we intervene, the, the more likely we are to have recovery success long-term. So Anne has been in our program for nine months. And um, when she came to us, I'll never forget it. The first day that she came, I was like, oh, this girl is amazing. She has such a bright personality. I was so pumped to have her in our community. But she was so um, anxious and hard on herself. And I wanted her to start making recovery fun. And so the first thing I had her do was to throw a recovery celebration party, <laughs> to drink some wine and pop some champagne bottles, and to take a Sharpie to all the nutrition labels in her house, cross them out, and kind of celebrate with her dog and her roommate. Uh, tell us what that was like that first day. 
it felt empowering, I would say, like crossing out these labels because we, we see these nutrition labels and it's like calories. And then my mind would be like, oh my goodness, no, I can't have that. But it was like kind of nice, like, you know, ignoring that and be like, you know what, I'm gonna have my cookie or, or whatever, whatever it was. You know, I even crossed out the label on my lentils because I was like, I don't need this. And it just felt good for like to not see it. Yeah. I love it. Even, even after that, I didn't cross out everything that came into the house. Um, but it was more like I just didn't make it a point to turn around the box or the label and didn't make the nutrition facts a focus of why I was eating something. I love that. So tell us a little bit more about Empower, what it was like, where you were at before, what you've learned from Empower, like your whole journey with Empower. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So Dr. Powell introduced me. She gave me you know, your Leah, Leah's email. So I was like, just messaged her. I was like, Hey, <laughs> what's up? Um, but from there, I think when I, before I joined empowered, I was feeling very like, I, I think again, I always struggled with feelings like loneliness. Mm -hmm. So like just knowing that there's like a whole community of other girls, like my age and then of all ages and of all different stories, it was very like, it was very inspiring and be like, you know, they can recover. I can too. Like, I want like to live my life to the fullest. And these other people are like, they're getting through recovery. Like I, I thought that was so cool. And I wanted that too. Yeah. Community is probably, I think one of the biggest, um, identifiers in long-term, uh, success, because when you have a group of people who just get it, no matter what's going on in your life, you can reach out to someone and get support. You're never alone. And if I think back to the times that I crashed and burned, it was because I was isolated. Oh yeah. And then that's my poison. Like I, when I, I, I isolate myself and that's when like, you know, the thoughts come in and, you know, I'm at my worst, but it's like, if you reach out to someone and it's like, wow, they get it. It's just, you feel so validated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so we have this um, part of our program is is the text group, tech support. And I don't want to say it's 24-7 tech support because obviously we sleep and stuff, but you could reach out at any time and you're likely to get a slew of responses. There's like 40 of us in this group message and it's a lot of people fear that it's going to be triggering, but it's actually quite the opposite. It's like, wow, uh, I'm giving advice to other girls. If I can give them advice, I can follow my own. And it ends up holding us accountable in a, in a whole new way. So I love community. I think it's necessary to recover. Um, talk to us a little bit about what's changed in your recovery since joining Empowered. Um, well, I committed to going all in. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that felt, feels really good. And I'm like back to exercising again, and I feel... I feel like exercise is no longer like it hasn't been a trigger and that's been like amazing because I was going so hard with my running you know I was running half marathons so it's kind of being like okay I can go for a walk and that's like good exercise for me like there's there was really that difference and then just being able to go out through my day and like tr having a different variety of nutrition and getting in like good quantity, uh, three meals a day plus snacks. Like this was all new stuff that I've been doing like within the last year. And it's really like helped my life just open up mm -hmm. and like, I don't know, I, I feel happy and it feels really awesome. 
I love that. I'm going to cry because I think there was a time when you weren't happy and I, I remember talking to you about it. So that makes me so happy to hear that. Oh, yeah. And like, and now just going through, I think recovery, like I'm at a point where I want to help other people. Cause I'm like, I know what it feels like to be in that place. And it sucks. Mm-hmm. Like it, you feel, I don't know, you feel awful. So it's like, it, I'm at a point where I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to kick this eating disorder out the door. <laughs> um, and like, I'm ready to help other people do the same. That's amazing. And because the thing is, it's like just going back to like um, my, you know, previous doctor and gastroenterologist, how they never even wondered about an eating disorder. I think just having like, again, like having more conversations about how you feel about your body. Um, do you have fear of foods? Um, what is your perception of yourself? I think those are just more, that's important to talk about. And once you start talking about it, you realize that there's so many people around you that struggle with the same thing. They're like, I'm self-conscious of myself in front of the mirror, or I body check, or, oh, I can't eat this. And I think once you start talking about those things, it opens up a conversation to explore. Totally. That's a great tip. And I think another thing to add on to that too, is that if a doctor or a professional or even a friend asks you, hey, what do you eat in a day? If we're self-conscious about food, we're going to filter it to sound the way that we think it should. And I've done that. (laughs) If we ask somebody what they do for exercise, it might not sound that crazy if you're a distance runner. The questions we need to be asking are, what are your favorite foods, number one? And number two, what does your recovery and rest look like? because we're going to learn way more about those two questions about their relationship to their body and exercise than we will by knowing what their um, daily habits are because they're going to mold those but favorite food typically we're not going to admit what it is or we'll say something like but I never eat it because part of an eating disorder is trying to not be associated with those foods that we fear Mm -hmm. and so if we notice somebody saying like, I love salads, I love vegetables, like bullshit, that's the eating disorder talking. We oh, yeah. know that. If a person says, I love pizza, but I, I, I don't know, I only have it as a treat. Pizza's not a treat, it's just a food, all foods fit. Like, oh, yeah. it's delicious. <laughs> these are all red flags. And if someone says, oh, I rest one day a week, okay, that's a red flag, let's look into this. Is there a coach involved that's helping them? Are they on a sports team? Do they play multiple sports? What's going on here? If they're just an athlete that does the gym six or seven days a week, two times a day, like huge red flags, right? Oh, so yeah. The two questions to ask are, what are your favorite foods these days? And number two, what does your rest and recovery look like? Um, so those are my two tips there. But Anna's um, a doll. She is going to school to do nursing. And I, I don't want to put words in her mouth, so I'll let her tell you. What do you want to do with your nursing, in? Uh, So with my nursing degree, um, what I want to do is I want to work with other women. I do want to get my um, certification in eating disorders uh, just so I can focus in women's health. And I don't know, I want to help inspire other women and doing that from like uh, like a clinical standpoint Mm -hmm. and then also having my own experience. I'm just, I think it's a pretty powerful tool to have and I'm excited to like help other people get that eating disorder in the butt. For sure. Yeah. And your art, Anne is already helping people. She is a writer and she writes beautiful poetry, beautiful papers and things like that. And she, um, she's featured on our blog a lot because she just does these beautiful things and we can't help but share them. So head to our blog, www.empoweredrx.org 
And anything by Ann Nyland there is wonderful. You can't uh, put it down once you start to read it. So talk to me a little bit about writing as a coping skill. Oh, writing has been a great outlet. I feel like that's lately it's it's I've been doing a lot of writing in the last few months and it's really been like a good um it's been an outlet I feel you know the, the page is listening and a lot of the other times sharing that um those writings other people have um you know they're like huh you know what I I get that you know I would be writing at work I I'm a CNA at UMass right now. And sometimes like even on night shift last night, I was, it was, a, I had a quiet moment. So I was just writing some thoughts that come to my head and occasionally like I'll have a coworker come by and be like, Oh, what are you up to? And I'm like, Oh, I've been, I write, um, you know, about a blog <laughs> about eating disorders. And then even that just starts a conversation about trauma and diet. And I think even having those conversations with the people around me has been so powerful mm. and right now i feel like a, there's a lot more people in my life that have been open to diet culture and just putting out these blogs i've had even people individually messaging me being like i i, I love this or this you've been an inspired inspiration to me and like that just makes my heart melt like that I'm like you didn't have to message me or anything but um just those few people reaching out to me and being like hey this this means something to me that like just meant the world to me and i'm like i want to keep doing that so that's like that's just with writing so i was like with writing with my education and my experience i feel like i could be pretty powerful and I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited for you. Um, you are already, yeah, you're already influencing people so much and I can't wait to see you help hundreds of women in the future. It's gonna be awesome. Um, so yeah, so Anne is um, somebody who gets involved in our member services on all different levels. She served on our Empowered Committee for Change, which is basically a group of 10 professionals in the health field or fitness field that want to have more trauma-informed practice and conversations. And so Anne served on that board, and we'll be getting together in a couple months. Again, we get together a couple times a year. And I think it's really, really important that we remember that trauma is something that most people have experienced to some degree. Mm -hmm. And if we're not informed about it, or we're not talking about it or having these conversations, we can do a lot of damage to people just by accident without realizing it. So I encourage everyone listening to become eating disorder and trauma informed. You don't have to know much, just know the signs and, and learn how to be an open-minded, sensitive human being and it will go far, you will help people, you could change somebody's life just by being a positive advocate. So with that being said, Anne, thank you so much for being here today. Is there anything else you wanna share with our listeners? Maybe a couple tips and tricks for those who are just starting recovery? Um, well, I think with starting out with recovery, I mean, like, go you, like that is a huge step. Um, I'm so proud of anyone and everyone who's tackling their recovery. And I think, um, it's just important to be kind to yourself mm -hmm. because we, I think there's a lot of us that we're so hard on ourselves. We don't give ourselves enough credit, but tackling recovery is one of the best things that you can do with your life because it just opens up to opportunity and moments and just pure happiness and it's exciting. I couldn't agree more and thank you so much for being here and we will see you soon. All right, thank you so much. <laughs>
continued to she continued to spiral more and more each year and the longer she was in this abusive relationship the longer she was you know hating herself and it's no coincidence when we are with somebody who doesn't show us value if our self-confidence or sense of self isn't strong enough we end up you know seeing what the other person claims to see that we are not good enough and we believe it yeah um thankfully i it doesn't happen anymore like i stopped engaging in it um i really started to like prioritize like myself and my self-worth and guys this this couldn't come up until she did the healing work like she was numb to it yeah like i didn't even realize like how bad it actually was um and i didn't I didn't think it, like, played a role in, like, my eating disorder. Like, I thought it was just, like, something I wanted. Like, I thought I, I wanted it to happen because, like, I liked him. And I thought, like, he loved me. Like, he told me he loved me. Like, totally brainwashed me. So, it was really, like, a big moment to unravel that and just, like, come to reality with it that, this was like a huge, like... It was trauma. Yeah. Yeah. You were surprised to find out that would be considered trauma. Yeah. Yeah. It was eye-opening. So, yeah, we deal with a lot of secondary traumas, guys, because... Or they're actually the primary trauma that causes the eating disorder sometimes or contributes to it. Trauma... Eating, an eating disorder is trauma in and of itself, but there's a lot of other traumas that some of our members deal with. So we are trauma-informed... We work through that stuff as well. And uh, yeah, Brooke's emotions just kind of started coming up, bubbling to the surface once she started healing and, and nourishing her body. And so the fact that she's here and standing and she's strong and she is healing, like she's been through a lot. And I just hope you know that having an eating disorder is not a mark of shame. If anything, you are so resilient and I hope you know how awesome you are. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Yeah, we are just so proud of Brooke, and I know she's only been with us for a few months, so imagine if she sticks with our program for the rest of the year. She is in our accelerator course and is, you know, reclaiming her life and her health, and once we get that down and get the foundations in, she'll be in our mastery course and then our fitness and nutrition for life course, which is basically... She'll be doing CrossFit and kicking ass and taking names and hopefully living her best life. So, Brooke, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Yes. Have an amazing day, you guys. Thanks for tuning in. And, uh, yeah, look back next week for another episode. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Empowered Rx. If you want to find us for more information or to understand more about our services, you can find us on Instagram at EmpoweredRx or you can join our free Facebook community filled with women who are all trying to get healthy and happy. To find that community, simply go to Facebook and search for the EmpoweredRx community. Have a great day, you guys, and stay well.